Hello and welcome to the War Studies Podcast. I'm Peter Bush and some of you might remember me because I started the department's podcast seven years ago uh, at the time with Jane Peake. Now I'm back, well, back together with third-year students who are taking my media module and we will bring you some new exciting content. Initially, a series of podcasts called Experts that we produced earlier this year. But before the first Experts podcast, we have Jane Peake, who now looks after The Exchange, a new exhibition space in Bush House on the Aldwych. And she will tell us more about a wider college project on art and exclusions. So Art and Exclusions is a collaboration between academics from war studies, geography and international development. And they've worked with artists to explore different forms of exclusion, for example, marginalisation, conflict and violence. And on the 23rd of October, there'll be a screening of a short documentary produced and featuring one of the PhD students in the War Studies Department, Gabriel Pla. And the exhibition as a whole is part of the Visual and Embodied Methods Network and it's open to the public until the 7th of November. Thank you. And uh, now we continue with our experts podcast series. And the first one is on lone actors and terrorism. Welcome to Experts, a podcast series produced by students in the Department of War Studies with interviews of academics, bringing you new perspectives on war, conflict and the media. I'm Peter Bush, presenting the hard work and research of my third year students who are taking the module called New Wars, New Media, New Journalism. Today's episode is produced by Chombo, Carla, Ida and Nada. On this week's episode, we will investigate how attacks by lone actors are framed in the media. First, King's College student Ida will give us some background information on the phenomena and how it relates to broader issues of terrorist reporting. We will then gain some insights from our expert, Dr. Julia Pierce, and her concerns with a lone wolf label. The podcast will conclude with a brief discussion of King's College students Carla and Nada. They will outline the most important factors in general, which one ought to look at, considering the media coverage of lone actor terrorism. To begin with an introduction to the context, King's College student Ida is here to give important background information on the topic. On October 27, 2018, a middle-aged man walked into a synagogue in Pittsburgh and opened fire on worshippers with a semi-automatic rifle. Having killed 11 people, it was the deadliest attack on the Jewish community in the United States. Within hours of the attack, the media labeled the individual as a lone wolf, meaning someone who prepares and commits violent acts alone. In the past decade, the term lone wolf has led to a discussion on how to report radicalized individuals, with many academics opting for the term lone attacker instead. The opponents of the term argue that the label is often used in the media to describe someone who is mentally ill, rather than someone with radical or violent intentions. As a result, these lone attackers are less sensationalized than group terrorist attacks. When descriptions of the attacker's race, religion, or nationality are also added to the narrative, the lone wolf label appears to be even more problematic. 
a study conducted by the International Institute for Counterterrorism, noted that in much of the Western world, and particularly the United States, lone actor terrorism presents a greater threat than organized groups. Therefore, there is an increasing need to evaluate how this term is used by media outlets and what effect it has on the underreporting of these attacks. With us today is expert Dr. Julia Pierce, whose research has focused on psychological and behavioral responses to low likelihood, high impact, extreme events, including terrorism. During her time in the War Studies Department at King's College London, she has worked on several projects, including the three-year European Union-funded prime project concerning prevention, interdiction and mitigation of lone actor terrorism. Thanks a lot. And we're going to talk about lone wolf terrorism because part of your research is um, focusing on the term lone wolf and really thinking about the implications uh, of that term. First of all, what do you think, I mean, how would you describe the term is used and what it is about? Yes, so uh, when you said that we're going to talk about lone wolf terrorism, um, my initial instinct was I'd rather talk about lone actor um, terrorism because I think the terminology is problematic and I think it, it's beyond um, simple semantics. So the terminology um, originally came from far-right American um, terrorists who and it was actually a self-ascribed term this is something they liked this is something that represents them in this kind of maverick uh, um, somewhat sensationalist way so I think it's problematic to um, use a terminology of choice um, I think it also um, is inaccurate in terms of just the use of the word loan actually is problematic when you think about the extent to which um, these individuals actually are often quite connected to groups um, certainly inspired if not working directly with. Um, so um, I think it's quite difficult to know how alone these individuals are. And I certainly think the use of the term wolf is something, if you look um, at official communications, it's just not terminology that's used anymore. It still persists in the media, though. So official communications, how would they refer to it? They would talk about lone actors or individuals. Yeah, and specifically, what do you think the impact of using that term still um, mostly in public discourse, in the media, and mainly, what, what does it mean? I, I, think, I think the reason it's potentially problematic is because, it, as I say, it's that, it's that potential to sensationalise, um, which can provoke greater anxiety. Um, it also um, glamorises the individuals involved. So I, I just think it's unhelpful terminology. Glamorise in what sense? Well, like I said, it's the maverick. It's the it's the it, there's there's a certain kind of there's an implied um, go getterishness, if you like. You know, lone wolf. A wolf is something that's powerful and um, predatory, and that's both scary, but it's also attractive. If you think about other terms, you could use. If you said a lone weasel, it would have a whole different set of connotations. So it's it's the use of that word. Do you also think the, the, the potential danger is this kind of copycat, that it's something inspiring other people? I don't have any evidence that the choice of language would necessarily inspire. Certainly, um, there's been a lot of debate around uh, media amplification of terrorist narratives more broadly. So I think it would not be unreasonable to uh, suggest if you're using terminology that would be considered favourable to people who were carrying out those types of acts, certainly it wouldn't be helpful. 
Um, but I don't know of any evidence to suggest that directly the use of that terminology would feed into copycat. In general, do you think the description of uh, of terrorist actors or lone actors uh, in that sense and the focus on their background, their motivation, uh, does that possibly lead to copycat? I think that could. So if you look at the period immediately after there's been an attack, that is certainly a period when people are concerned that there is an increased likelihood of more incidents happening. You look at organisations such as ISIS and they really start pumping propaganda out at that time. Um, so there has been a lot of debate um, about the extent to which media amplify particular narratives, particular way. Again, if if you... Um, Think about actors like um, Lee Rigby's killers, like Anders Breivik. These are people who are directly engaging with the media and saying, look at me, uh, this is my manifesto, these are the, the things that I want to put out there. And certainly um, there is a role there in the potential to um, uh, produce copycat effects. One of the things that was quite interesting that came out of our recent research, so we looked at a five-year period of coverage in the UK and Denmark um, at press so so this is looking at print media coverage of lone um actors we found that um uh, that there was less uh repetition of terrorist narratives than we were expecting to find given that that, that there is this common sense understanding that the media uh produce these messages actually um there weren't very many articles in which that happened however i think it's also worth thinking about which types of articles Uh, and which publications do that, if they're publications with higher circulation. It's not simply the, the number of um, outlets that are doing that, it's which types of outlet. And also the other thing we found was that um, we we also examined the extent to which the media were producing counterterrorism messages. So were they representing the state response as something which was weak or something which was strong? Were they saying, uh, for example, uh, one of the issues specific to lone actors is around the challenges of interrupting these types of attack. The, the attack planning t period tends to be a lot shorter than for more uh, for, for, for larger scale group based activities. Um, so it's, they're much harder to interrupt and you find some of the media coverage in the media aftermath to also link back to the question about copycat attacks talks about the fact these are really difficult to prevent. However, if you, um, you you could, as a media, also put out a message that whilst this happened, it's extremely rare um, and they would be unlikely to be successful. So we looked at that balance of coverage and we found if you took the articles that uh, focused on reproducing terrorist narrative and also the articles that highlighted weaknesses taken together, there was a greater proportion of press coverage that was doing that than than putting out messages that might suggest to potential future attackers that this isn't something that's likely to be successful. So you found that uh, media coverage is more complex and varied and it's not that easy, for example, to blame journalists for bad coverage? I think so. I think so. And I think it's important as well. Um, I mean, we tend to talk about the media as if it's a monolithic entity. Uh, we looked in two different countries. We found quite different patterns of coverage in Denmark than the UK, for example. Um, one of the things that did surprise me, though, was in a UK context. So we looked at the top five selling national broadsheet and tabloid uh, publications, and we were expecting quite different coverage between the tabloids and broadsheets. And actually, when it came to this topic, the coverage was very similar. So there was less variation than we might have expected. 
So when you now think about, or when we, we talk about lone wolf or lone actors, sorry, um, again, there's, there was an Al Jazeera journalist who uh, said for them, it's no longer about numbers, but mostly about the attention of their acts. Would you agree with that? And if so, why? Yeah, I think I would agree with it. I mean, if you look at the pattern of lone actor attacks, they tend to have lower casualties, not always, um, but but if you look at uh, as a pattern, as a trend, um, they tend to have lower casualties, but they have high um, attention value. Um, I think as a consequence of that sense that it, it feels, it's scary, right, that somebody could just grab something, whether it's a household object or a car or vehicle, things that people have access to. These aren't people who have to be particularly skilled. Um, it's also uh, combined with the narrative around homegrown attacks. So that sense of, you know, somebody from our community could be doing this. So it all feeds into something which um, has good news appeal, I think, um, which, which means, as I say... Mm. That's interesting. But, but when, when we also think from about um, religiously motivated terror attacks, if you want to call them that, um, and maybe right-wing mm-hmm. uh, terrorism, is there a difference within media, how they portray lone wolves or lone actors or, or small groups who, per, who are the perpetrators? Yeah, so we found, again, um, looking at the press, the, the print coverage um, of, of these events, that... Certainly in the UK, there was quite uh, there were quite distinct differences between the coverage of uh, far right attacks and uh, Islamist attacks. So so um, the Islamist attacks tended to be framed around criminality and violence. Um, there was also uh, more discussion of indoctrination. You know, these these are brainwashed people uh, with the far right attacks. Uh, they were more individualist narratives around you know this is an evil person um there was also a greater propensity to talk about mental illness um the same kinds of themes and framings came up in the danish coverage but there was less of a clear distinction between the the the, the type the terrorism type in that context and finally maybe you're a psychologist of course um when you think about uh, the public as a whole and also how they learn about it in the, in the media um, when you talk about lone actors and that they may be part of your community and they just at any moment might attack somebody, does this also affect a certain level of fear or does it uh, have no different uh, impact from the spectacular big attack? I think, I think it has the potential um, to feed into fear. I think another important issue that we mustn't forget is it also has the potential to feed into the stigmatisation of particular communities if actors are seen to come or, or to represent, um, if, if you talk about things like religious um, terrorism, there is this, this sense that this is a subset of a community rather than an individual. And this is coming back to the point I was making about the framing of actors, that it actually matters um, uh, the way you do that. So I think, it, I think it does have the potential to impact on public understandings of the issue and also uh, public fear. was a very interesting interview. I think what became very clear is that there's a general consensus that the terminology lone wolf is extremely problematic. Specifically, it reminds us how important it is to understand the effects of semantics in the media. For example, after the Manchester bombing a few years ago, the UK's campaign hashtag words matter created a huge discussion on the issue where survivors from attacks like the London 7-7, 
the Manchester Arena bombing, Westminster Bridge, and the Vatican nightclub attack in Paris argued that the media should be careful in glamorizing terrorism through descriptions of terrorist attackers like Lone Wolf or Mastermind and nicknames such as the Beatles. Language choice, in my opinion, is so important because it largely affects the audience's perception and acceptance of certain things relating to terrorist attacks, like negotiations with extremist groups as political actors. Yeah, I agree. I found the visible effects of the label Lone Wolf on public perception and legislation very interesting. In fact, the interview inspired me to look into the roots of the term, and there's an implication that there's something wrong with the lone wolf. This is because wolves are naturally social animals, as we've seen by the fact that they move in packs. Therefore, a lone wolf, so to speak, denotes something unusual and rare. When an attacker is labeled as such, the public associates the attack with an isolated event, which is not representative of a larger threat. However, the politicization of the term lone wolf has caused for the label to be disproportionately utilized for white perpetrators. This has caused what Sean King of The Intercept calls the white privilege of the lone wolf shooter, which explains that whiteness somehow protects men from being labeled terrorists. Therefore, when an attack or a crime is committed by people of color, news outlets are quick to draw a connection to religion or country of origin, thereby often leading to the criminalization and dehumanization of an entire community, while lone wolf crimes are reported as anomalies. This problem has been studied extensively in the U.S. and the U.K., where there has been a large concern regarding the media's role in contributing to Islamophobia by disproportionately referring to white males as lone wolves. These studies reaffirm Powell's model of terrorism coverage, which identifies that white perpetrators are blamed as individuals, whereas crimes committed by perpetrators of color are framed as part of a larger narrative. These word shooter associations, such as white male shooters with mental illness or shooters of colors to intrinsic attributions, take away responsibility from shooters based on their race and religion. This has led to problematic stereotyping concerning Muslim men in these countries. This effect has had on policies is that the public reveal greater support for counterterrorism resources following an attack by a Muslim perpetrator while f- favoring mental health care and responding to white shooters. Yes, or more recently, the Al Noor mosque shooting in New Zealand, where the mainstream media was adamant in parading the tragedy as a lone wolf attack. The Daily Telegraph and Fox News went as far as to dub the attack a mass shooting and not terrorism. Yet this description is inadequate to describe the New Zealand massacre, which was clearly meant to intimidate people and was referred to as a far-right white Christian movement, which is the basic definition of terrorism. We see it time and time again. When Dylan Roof killed nine African Americans in a church shooting, and then again when Craig Hicks killed three Muslim college graduates in Chapel Hill. In both these cases, the perpetrator was victimized by being characterized as mentally ill or considered as an isolated incident. With no mention of terrorism either. On the other hand, Salman Abdi, the bomber responsible for the Manchester attack in May 2017 at Ariana Grande's concert, was immediately picked apart by the press and investigated for potential ties to ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and various other foreign terror groups. This directly shows the overt racial profiling done by the media when it comes to terrorism news story. This trend has been prominent since 9-11 and has perpetuated discriminatory stereotypes and sentiments against people from various religious groups, ethnicities, and races. Yes, and all of this relates back to the idea that today we live in a news age where there's 24-hour news coverage. Journalists increasingly use shortcuts to compress complex realities into formats that the public can consume quickly. However, the problem is that terrorism is such a complex and compound subject, and therefore precise language is vital, because labels and epithets are susceptible to connotations. 
Recently, Mary Hockader, the BBC's controller of World Service English, wrote, The recent rapid sequence of events does challenge us about language. Terrorist, the lone wolf, the mentally ill, the loner. News events rush past and headlines simplify. But it's really important we go on striving to be precise, recognize the complexity of people, and indeed what the policy response needs to be, and use accurate, concrete language when we can, rather than generalities. Interestingly also, lone wolf as a term has very little factual meaning. Apart from sensationalizing the perpetrator, they give the sense that the individual was operating in isolation. However, the reality is that it's difficult to find examples of terrorists not influenced to some degree by the messaging of terror groups, even if their actions were not explicitly ordered or coordinated. In today's age, terrorism has become more dispersed and the association of specific acts with an organization is becoming harder and harder to determine. Therefore, it has become more important for news organizations to focus on the words they use in their distribution of news on terrorism because of the effect that this can have on an audience and their assumptions. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Experts. The podcast itself was produced by Carla, Nada, Aida and Zombo. Thanks a lot for listening and do check out the other episodes in this podcast series. Goodbye. Goodbye.